Hey, you're listening to Still Talking, the irrelevant podcast about distillation and the spirits industry as a whole. With your host, me, I'm Jason Zeno. Don't call me Jason, just call me Zeno. And Colton Weinstein, Weinstein, depending on who you're talking to and how many people you've touched. Um, and when the last time you read news about Harvey was. Yeah. So, <laughs> Too soon. Um, really, really what we want to say today, uh, listener, is sorry for ghosting. Um, you know, some idiot went to Australia for like 700 weeks is what it felt like. Uh, this is the longest I've been without Colton in my life since I've met him. It's weird because so, it was Brian who went to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, Colton just ghosted me, actually. <laughs> Um, and you know, I moved to New Orleans, so moving sucks. Uh, I don't recommend it to anyone. When you move, it's not done. You still have to like put things in place and put stuff away. It's terrible. Um, and you know, Brian has like 704 kids, so he has to put them all to sleep, not in sleeper holds, <laughs> like read them a story. So we, I, we really want to apologize. Like we don't expect interruptions like this often. But yeah. it was kind of, you know, life comes at you fast. But we're settled in now. And Colton... We're back. Went a ba- to the bathroom a bunch of times where toilets flushed the opposite direction, like some kind of insane land. And, uh, yeah, so we have some content coming. But really, I just want to apologize to you, listener, because without you, um, we're still going to do this because... <laughs> We don't really get anything from it, and it's fun, and Colton likes to hear himself talk. Well, yeah, that's the whole reason. I do want to point out all of the content that comes from Australia. I did have to record entirely backwards, so it would play properly in the States. If you listen to it backwards, it's like devil worshiping. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, if you recorded it backwards... Does it play forwards? This is like the movie Memento, which some people was a very polarizing movie. Hey, I love it, but uh, um, I'm not plugging Memento, although Guy Pierce is a fine, fine actor. Yeah, I mean, it plays perfectly in the States. Actually, the hardest part was I had to get... They, they work on different electricity. It's crazy. You have to get different plugs, different converters, just this, straight this up... This is like there. basic information that everybody knows. <laughs> I didn't know it till the last day, so I had to, instead of properly buying converters on Amazon, I ran over to Best Buy an hour before our plane ride and tried to buy every converter they had. I bought so, mostly the wrong ones, but I got one correct one, so we were able to record. So the, since this is our like intro <laughs> snippet, till you get into you can kind of explain what your interview was like. Give me like a quick synopsis of what the last three weeks in Australia was like, and then I will give a quick shot of like what three what three weeks have been like at starting a new job at a startup. Yeah, yeah. So we we landed and it was actually prime timing. We were there for Sydney Bar Week, so we just got thrown into their distilling culture, which it's crazy. It's kind of like looking at the U.S. ten years ago. They've They've just started. Their craft distilling scene is just getting off the ground. So what you're saying is we need to go start a distillery in Australia. It's already in the works. <laughs> yes. Really, because we're not good. So, I mean, if they're like 10 years behind, you're saying we have a chance. It's like yeah. those movies where someone goes back in time and they're the smartest person there. 
<laughs> I'm still the dumbest person there. <laughs> yeah. They're like, this guy doesn't have a learning disability. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the, the biggest thing that's holding them back is their, their goddamn taxes. It's 23 American dollars a bottle in taxes. Yeah, I know. That's what. That's like, insane. <laughs> here's my exposure to Australia, and it's when I was with Beams. And oh, Dory. I have a picture of it. We were sitting at this really, really shitty Italian restaurant, like the shittiest place we ate for three. weeks. You know where to get fine Italian food, folks. <laughs> and when I say folks, I'm talking to you, listener, trapped <laughs> in Brian's basement. Um, is definitely Australia. I know when I go to Australia, I'm like, man, yeah. I want some. Not Asian Brazil. food, not yeah. kangaroo meat, just spaghetti and sauce. <laughs> All right, so go on. Would you see? Do you saw an RTD uh, or a giant bottle? No, of there's RTDs everywhere. Actually, RTDs yeah. have been hurt recently because of this tax. But I saw the biggest bottle I've ever seen of Jim Beam in one of those cribs that you you know it's so oh, yeah. it's so big. That it basically it has to swing to pour. It has its yeah. own pouring mechanism because it's so goddamn big. So it's Xeno sized. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> That's a different kind of crib, and that is disturbing. So wait, no, tell me. Sorry. Right, so you got there, beer week. All right, that's. Or would you say it's Spirit Week, Cocktail Week? It was Sydney it? Bar Week. So, but it was basically it's where they have their. You know, we didn't go to it, but they they had a big sort of bartender of the year award ceremony and things like that. I didn't. We probably could have gone, but it was a ticketed event. I didn't have a big stake in the best bartender in in Australia, so we chose not to. All right. So the biggest takeaway is that you see it very much in its infancy in comparison to what we have here. Yeah. Basically, everyone is three to five years old. Five years old max. Um, you know, there's a couple old guys that are like six to eight years. Not talking about Tasmania. It's a different story down there, but their bottles are $250 a bottle. That's where the Tasmanian devil has come from. Just throw that out that there. That documentary little, you watched. Little Looney Tunes. <laughs> yeah, documentary. So, yeah. So, basically, everyone's uh, kind of like America. Everyone's starting out with gin. And gin has hit really hard there. I, I think I talk about it in the interview, but my favorite part of it was they've completely ignored the sort of, hey, gin can be everything. Let's go, you know, very contemporary. Let's, you know, sort of slink away from juniper and try all these other botanicals. They are juniper-heavy gins. It's awesome. They taste excellent. They taste yeah. like gin. And then yeah. on the flip side, well, not the flip side, but the addition to that is that they're using a lot of Australian native botanicals there as well. So they get these juniper heavy with whatever kind of weird fruits and vegetables and herbs they can find. Wait, did you just start saying herbs now because you've been in Australia for three weeks? Well, what do you say? I mean, they're herbs. Well, yeah, herbs and herbs. Herb is a dude that I know. Well, yeah, they put him in the pot, they boil him. Actually, I don't know any herbs. <laughs> That's good enough. That gives us an idea. I think that the interview will give you more. I'm sure we're going to do a whole episode. Yeah. You can walk us through a very boring and slow three weeks. It'll be awesome. I did nothing um, for three weeks. Yeah, so my founder, right, he's, he's Scottish. He's actually in Scotland right now. And... It's funny, his perspective, like the UK and gin. Gin's blown up there again, right? Like, and that's 
I can't believe how big and gyms kind of I feel like settled down a little bit in the states. Wouldn't you say? Well, yeah. So, and I expect it to settle down in Australia too. The the biggest thing to me was that they're all doing gin because Australia has a mandatory two two year minimum on anything they want to call whiskey. Oh, really? Yeah. And and rum, in fact, actually, which I thought was are they using odd, but different like overcharged small barrels? So here was the best part. This gets down into Tasmania, which is known for their whiskey. Rum. You know, they've won a bunch of awards in Tasmania for you know, world's best whiskey and things like that. They use a lot of little barrels, a lot of five gallon, fifteen gallon, twenty gallon barrels. But what they're doing is because it's so expensive to just bring anything to Australia because it's so far on the other side of the world. They're bringing in big barrels and then chopping them up and making them into little barrels. So what I gathered from that was, well, yeah, you're still, you're using little barrels, but you're using a 20 year old, you know, port wood barrel or port barrel where you're, are they once used to them? They're once used, you know, they're once used twice used a hundred times used. It's just like, they're bringing in really good quality barrels with quality wood and making those into small barrels. So we're that's in, pretty interesting. We're in America, where you know we our little barrels are, you know, brand new. So it's new oak, and oftentimes it's poorer parts parts of the tree. Too much oak, not enough age. Yeah. They don't they don't get those on their tasting notes. So. Um, which is kind of cool, but that's not even feasible here. Like, I'm not gonna get. No one's gonna chop down those beautiful barrels. I I know it's like they're already here. they're already paying. $300 for a small barrel. So that's just insane. Their, their prices are insane, but that works out in their taxes and whiskey. So they're, they're doing, because they're behind, they're doing the gin movement of like, hey, we have to keep the lights on, so let's make clear spirits. Gin's at least somewhat interesting, not like vodka, right? Not, yeah. You know, I, I honestly don't know. It seems like it's kind of snowballed into... It probably started with, hey, we just need to keep the lights on. Let's make gin. But then their gin culture and their cocktail culture just, you know, just grew and grew and grew. And Did you have some gin RTDs? There's gin RTDs. Everyone is drinking a, you know, bottled Negroni. Who's goddamn everyone. Well, yeah. That, yeah. I mean, well, Negroni's apparently, delicious. Apparently, like, two to three years ago, the government really cracked down on RTDs and raised the taxes on them. So they're, an RTD is also, like, $23 a bottle. I feel like you'll be, seeing, you'll be seeing more RTDs here in the States real soon. Yeah. Hopefully. And they're they're perfect. I mean, they're okay. I don't know. I live in New Orleans now where you can just walk around with drinks, like... Yeah. Some kind of animal. I mean, I, I'm looking at you. You have six drinks in your hand right now. So, I, yeah. How is that different from anywhere I'm at <laughs> yeah. like all the time? Yeah. I mean, so is anyone making vodka down there? Yeah. I, uh, yeah. There's definitely some vodka makers, but it's it seems to be mostly gin and a lot of rum as well. Because uh, weirdly, up north is closer to the equator, so they have all their sugar cane up north. Oh, that's kind of cool. See, it's so weird. So my last month or three weeks have been, hey, you you don't really drink vodka, and uh, <laughs> now make the best you, of it. <laughs> you don't really make vodka, but uh, yeah, we're trying to make vodka, and you know what? 
it's the same thing that other people have told me when they're like, yeah, it's actually been pretty fun. Yeah. It's definitely a challenge. I mean, it's all, it's, it's hard. the hardest spirit there is, I think, right? <laughs> well, yeah. Like to me, it's like making Budweiser, right? Yeah. Like, also it, the hardest. Yeah. It, because your every defect you're going to notice. And the beauty is there's some wiggle room because we're doing it literally everything from scratch, right? Like, I mean, I'm not growing the grain. I'm not going out in the field and planting seeds. Ah, Although if, if you want to imagine that I am, <laughs> yeah. go for it. But like, I mean, that grain character comes through and I keep going back to a funny, a funny story when I'm talking to people that I work with to get them to understand what we're doing and how it's not, we're not buying neutral spirit and Re- redistilling it or, or, or yeah, reprocessing in any way. And like, and the people that are making those neutral spirits have way different equipment, right? Like it's multiple columns in line to get a super clean spirit. But even when you do that, here's the beauty of it is, and you remember this Colton, cause this is when I was, you know, I worked at Corsair for that small, what, what is it? Like three months. Right. And sure. remember I ordered all that neutral grain spirit. Oh, yeah. And, I still, yeah, I still have it somewhere, actually. Yeah. So I ordered all this neutral grain spirit that was like Polish potato, sugar cane, grape neutral, two different types of corn, and then a, and like and there was I don't know part. There was a grape a grape neutral with flavor and a grape neutral without like not flavor but, but like a character. I but guess. but even the sugar cane is vastly different from the corn, yeah. which is vastly different from the potato. So that to me was like, look, even if you're making it neutral, it still has the characteristics of its raw material. Now, I'm getting it with the way I'm distilling and I'm trying to do is I'm getting it very I'm trying to get it as clean as possible. But it's gonna have character. Right, so I, I, pl- I play this slippery slope. It's like how much character is too much character, and right because people don't want to drink a vodka and tonic. Well, so so how does that work? I, I guess you have to keep it. You have to keep it above one ninety the whole time, right? One ninety two, technically. Well, okay, one ninety two. So I've never really done a, a full spirit run in a pot still with columns to make vodka. What is, what is that sort of flavor profile like from heads to hearts to tails? It's very concentrated. So it's actually, it's way different, but easier in a lot of ways. So you think if you're refluxing through this whole column, right, and it, it reaches a, a vapor liquid equilibrium in each one of those sections. Yeah. When it all, the temperature kind of lines out, and then really your main control point on that is your pre-condenser or your deflagmator and like how much you're backing off till you blow over right but since you concentrate it when you start to blow over heads it's really concentrated right like so sure. i keep using the word concentrate right but like it's low volume but very rich in methanol acetaldehyde ethyl acetate like those things so sure but, but i guess I, i'm more interested in one, once you make the cut once that's gone head side of the heart's cut how how flavorful is that compared to the tail side? Is the head side of the heart's cut, is that more akin to what we know as sort I'm of... I'm a fist side of the head punch, yeah. if you don't get this question <laughs> off. Is that more akin to, you know, what we know as column still vodkas, or is it not, uh, not, not even close at all? Or You kind of, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of close. I mean, when it comes off the still, it's pretty close. But a lot of times, you know, like I'm teaching some of these kids how to 
like wrap your head around it to make a cut because actually the heads to hearts is an easier cut, I feel, than hearts to tails. And to really wrap your head around it, I'm like, hey, look, if you can't figure it out, proof it down a ton. Because, I mean, kind of the industry standard is like, what, proof it down to like 40 to smell for defects. Well, you can kind of do that in the run. And it gets, you get burned out, right? Like you're going to get burned out if you're smelling 194 proof, right? So is, is the heads part closer to what we know as neutral or... You know, take take your, the, take your standard well vodka or whatever that just is straight off a, you know, giant system. It, it, yeah, I would say, I would say like the lower end ones, yeah. They're, you're, the you're talking about closer. having a, a characterful vodka, right? So where does that character, does that come in closer to the tails, I'm assuming? Pro, yes, mostly. That's where I believe. Yeah, yeah, no, that's where it comes in. Yeah. But there is some, like the cheaper vodkas will have more of that heads sure. character do it. Sure. But like, you think of something like, uh, nothing wrong with Grey Goose, but Grey Goose is pretty neutral, right? Sure. But it's wheat-based, so you get like that mouthfeel going on. But I mean, it's so, it's run through a giant stripping and then a rectifying column, which has water coming down one side to rectify even further. So they get it to the azeotrope, and like, they're fine-tuned engineered. And it's pretty neutral, right? To the point that a lot of those big houses add compounds for like a thumbprint so people can't make forgery spirits, right? And say, hey, oh yeah, look, this is this is brave <laughs> Bruce, right? So, I, I mean, obviously I'm not anywhere near that. I don't have that type of equipment. But I do have equipment that you can rectify it and get it to the correct proof. And it is pretty clean, but it retains a lot of the character. But yeah, it's been a real challenge. And not only that, it's all new equipment, all new people, and I'm trying to train people and fix things and get it going. So that's been my three weeks. And I'm also moved to a new city and a new place and everything like that. So that's why we ghosted listener. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Quick. I love that. Quick how description. I, I sound like a dick. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's get back on the topic and move on to the interview I did while I was down in Melbourne. Here are the guys from Craft & Co. Distillery. We are recording. First episode of Still Talking Down Under. Uh, I am here with the producers of Craft & Co.'s Distillery and their gin. Uh, why don't you guys introduce yourself and maybe talk a little bit about you know, how you got started in the industry. Uh, my name is Derva uh, McGowan, and I'm one of the co-distillers of Anthogen, and we're made um, here at the Craft & Co. Um, and my yeah, co-distiller um, here. <laughs> <laughs> my name's Sebastian Rayburn, and yeah, with, with Derv, we distill Anthogen, and then my sort of part-time job is to be the distiller at Craft & Co., which is, I guess, a sort of a gypsy distilling space, but it's, you know, we're definitely not a contract distillery and what we really try to do is to bring people to the market and help them through that process and Antha was I guess the guinea pig for yeah. that. Yep. So yeah, when Craft & Co seems really cool. It's got a brewery, uh, you guys make your own wine, uh, your own cheese. 
working on your own meat, although it sounds like there's some regulation hurdles there. But. Plenty, plenty of admin when you're talking the Australian environment. So, uh, so is, that, is that how Craft & Co. got started, with the idea to kind of collaborate on all these ideas? Or? So Craft & Co. is part of, part of a bigger company that sells equipment. So in some ways, this is sort of a showroom, and part of it is the idea that people learn how to brew, how to distill on the equipment here and then when it's you know, hopefully their brand is growing and they're doing well and it's time to expand and to grow then you know we could give them a price list and, and yeah. talk them <laughs> through that you know so that we try to sort of you know follow that that process the other awesome thing about this place is that you can start your distillation business without spending a couple of hundred grand on a distillery so you can actually yeah. feel the market out understand what the market's doing understand whether it's a going concern for you given what you want to do with your brand before you make that capital investment and the other thing it does is it allows people to hit the ground running when they do open their distillery so they have experts around them that are able to sort of advise them and help them develop their recipe which I think is a huge benefit when you're starting. And as is, is & Co is it any spirit category you want or do you guys focus on something I mean you guys make gin but if I come in tomorrow and say hey I want to make agave rum that is the one thing I haven't distilled yet is (laughs) agave so please please come in tomorrow I I really want to have a play but we you know the still here is 180 liters so that governs what's possible so if you want to make whiskey here then we can make small quantities and we can workshop recipes right from the grain through the fermentation through the distillation into the barrel but we won't be able to get a commercial volume to market so we've worked with a couple of people who have bought stills they're building their distilleries they're working with us to create the recipe before their kit is commissioned so that way you know they haven't got that capital expenditure sitting idle but you know there is that just that element of scale, you know, if, if you take 180 litres of wash to make whiskey, you end up yeah. with 24 bottles of whiskey, which is, you know, a lot Very of work. Very expensive whiskey. For two days' work, you know. <laughs> so, 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 yeah. But, you know, flip side, we've done, you know, we've brought recipes to market with rum, uh, with whiskey, both malt style and on grain, whole grain style. So we, we do recipe development across everything. And has it... It's- Looks like it's been working well for bars too coming in. So what you say today, you run about 120 bottles or so, just perfect for a bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the sort of minimum, and that's uh, you know it's probably probably a new part of that world because so much of what we do is about trying to bring a recipe from concept to a polished product. It's still quite an engaged, you know, it's quite a long process. But now, I mean. Antha, we've been two years now with Antha plus another 10 months of R&D, I think, Derv. Mm-hmm. And so now we're in a position where we can collaborate really fast. We really enjoy it. So one of the things that we do is we make, we make Antha all year and we, we make we, – our first year we were just making gins that we liked, little one-offs <laughs> because we wanted to play with flavour and, and not get bored as well because that would not do us either of us any good. But – now what we're finding is that yeah, bars and restaurants want to have their own gin made for them only and that gives us that opportunity to collaborate and include people's ideas and creativity in our, in our process, which we really enjoy because 
we just love, as a, you know, we were talking earlier about the Australian native um, botanicals are just phenomenal. Like the flavours yeah. coming out of this country that grow. I mean, we've got kangaroos here and they're weird, right? And sure. they've got a pouch <laughs> and we've got echidnas that lay eggs and are mammals. Um, so what are <laughs> our plants going to do? <laughs> so we're, we, we think that we're very fortunate to have these weird and wonderful plants and we feel like we've barely touched on what we have here and we're really excited by that but when you're working with chefs so one of the gins we did was with a, a restaurant group a fine dining restaurant group called uh, scott pickett and co and they're beautiful beautiful food in melbourne and um, they work with foragers and when you work with chefs you just get a whole different take on flavor and they bring you weird and wonderful things and they've already worked with them so you get to play with, they've almost done a little bit of your work for you as a distiller and they approach flavour very similarly to, to us, um, which we found. We've worked with a couple of chefs now. Yeah, that was a, that's our second chef collaboration. And, yeah, the first time we did with um, awesome. Tony Twitchett, who's up at Taxi and Federation, so right in the centre of town. It's a great, great restaurant. But we sort of spent the day distilling with him and... He, he just brought it back to how he made stocks and sauces and dew and reduction. Mm. And we just, it, we realised, you know, as we're going through this distillation that we, you know, me and Dev and Tony were just in exactly the same headspace around flavour, yeah. how to extract it, how to manipulate it, mm. I guess. Yeah. So that, that actually brings up a good point. So you guys do all in pot steeps and infusions, no vapour, no steeping afterwards. Was that no. a choice because of equipment or a choice because of, you know, that headspace? That just worked. It just worked for us. Um, and, and it was, I mean, it was equipment as well. We could have, if, we could have jimmied up a basket if we yeah. wanted to, you know. <laughs> 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 and I, I know um, one of the things as well for us getting into it. So I, I've, I'm, I've come from the bar industry um, as a cocktail bartender. As, so is Derv before going off and becoming vaguely legitimate and <laughs> then rejecting it <laughs> doing a, a science um, working as a scientist but we sort of also didn't come to this as distillers so we sort of picked our battles and it was that thing of like well one shot in pot is really traditional mm-hmm. a lot of the really old books talk about it in terms of ratios of ingredients and grams per liter of things so we sort of made the call to say well look let's that's where we'll play you know, that's going to be our thing. That's how we'll do it. Um, so here's, here's a question I've always yeah. had about when you pull a recipe out of an old book. Yeah. It probably wasn't grain neutral when they were talking about grams per liter. So how do you account for that? Are you just kind of winging it? You mess around with it. So yeah. uh, one of the things that we that I spoke initially and now Sebastian's speaking about more is, is variables. So you reduce the number of variables you have. So one of the things that with the basket... You take that you don't do vapor infusion, so therefore you reduce one of the variables when you're starting out. Um, but we just we we would distill with what we had, with with the old recipe, and then we would change one thing and see what that tasted like, and then we change another thing, and and it took us. Well, Sebastian found that quite difficult because he's oh, yeah. a cocktail bartender, <laughs> so you you get this gorgeous cocktail and it's slightly out of balance, and he knows he needs to add. Three things. Or yeah, yeah, six <laughs> things. Do it straight away. Just, just so we had we things. had the first maybe four distillations. We had some serious discussions around approach, um, but 
Uh, look, we agreed that there were five things yes. that needed to change. <laughs> and we agreed that we knew what they were and what the changes should be. But so the, I did it. You did all five. <laughs> um, so I, and then we had to, I had to explain to him that we, that's fabulous and it, it could taste really good in, in two weeks. And we have to, but, point that out. <laughs> but, but if it doesn't taste good in two weeks, how do we know why it doesn't taste good? So that's where we, yeah. we just and did things one by one slowly. Were you able to reuse the initial trials just to blend them out or are they just Actually, sitting yeah, on we, your we, shelves we, now? We've got them. Yeah, we've yeah, still, still got, got them. Yeah. So that we did only two litre runs. So we just, oh, okay. which is, what is phenomenal is our little two litre still, it's when we scale up, it's perfect scale. Like it just goes, the ratios go perfectly to the 180 litre still. So, yeah, which is phenomenal because really we've, we know that when you go bigger, when the stills get much larger, like three, I think it's 300 to 400 litres, the that ratio, those ratios change dramatically. So you will find that things will extract more um, at that size. So we're very lucky, I think, at that, at that point. So we, that was one of the things that we were concerned about was scale. But we were very lucky that it didn't actually didn't change. Mm. Yeah. And one of the things in there we really found is that when you do a, a benchtop run at two litres and with the big still as well, you, you can't assess it till you've let it sit. You, you just have to leave it. And it, for us, we find it's it's really like at least a week and a half, but two two weeks. Yeah, is that a philosophy you use for anything bottling yeah. as well? Just let it rest before it goes in. Yeah, we've found that we need to let ours rest. Uh, uh, we've got quite a juniper forward style of gin, so there's a at 15 degrees Celsius when I gin. Uh, I if you yeah 15 degrees we have a cloudy gin because there's so much oil in there, um, particularly the juniper oil because we macerate a juniper overnight and then we distill with nine kilos and 180 litres, which is a significant amount of juniper. Um, so that if we don't let that sit, it's just cloudy. Whereas if we let it sit for three to four days diluted, then it's it's clear so until it's, we yeah. hit 15 degrees Celsius. Yeah. <laughs> so, we yeah, we let it rest after distillation, probably more like three to four weeks, and then rest again after dilution. Mm. You dilute slowly or...? Slowly-ish, you yeah. know. We, just we started doing that. To mm. well, yeah. Yeah, you guys are packed in a pretty tight yeah, space so, down yeah. there. 19 meters square, yeah. I yeah. think. We're <laughs> <laughs> it's tiny. Um, yeah, that was, we were, I was talking to a distiller in Tasmania, and he was talking about having to dilute slowly, but mostly because his water was so cold that it was clouding ah. up his whiskey if he didn't. Yes. Um, seems like you guys might have a little bit warmer water here. So. Yeah, we do. Mm. And we think it for us it's a factor of the, the just the juniper oil and this reactions going on in there that, um, you know, need time. Yeah, certainly variables on the botanicals as well. It's so one of the joys of being a small producer yeah. is, you, you know, you're getting smaller batches. So, Have there been some, not experiments on your side, but the gypsy scale that go wrong where they come in and they say, hey, we want to make pizza gin. I want pepperoni <laughs> in it. Right, do you fight that? Or, you know, you know it's a bad idea, but they have a sack full of cash for you. So. I, I, we haven't had enough... We haven't had any of those really bad ideas yet, um, but we certainly, we try to start with, you know, what is this end product you want to get to? And then, yeah. okay, okay, what are the steps on the way, you know, but try to, you know, really define it. So we sometimes will sit down and even go through like a brand matrix with people to sort of say, you know, what's, has, what's the look and feel of the brand? And if the look and feel is light and pastel and fresh, then... Let's not go with a heavy, spicy, sure. oily you know, recipe. Let's you know, head in that direction. And look, that can be quite interesting, you know. But I think we're lucky that we've we've got to work with some people who 
have seen a gap that they want to explore and, and go with. You know, we've, we've got some winemakers that are down on the Mornington Peninsula, which is, you know, just outside of Melbourne. And it's a, you know, really well-renowned wine region in Victoria. They already sell to their customers with their wine. So for them, it was, I just want to sell another product to my same customers. And, you know, they're using a whole bunch of, you know, native stuff that's from the Mornington Peninsula. So for them, that's a really easy brand, a really easy sell. It connects to what they're already doing. So that that's good. But, you know, we also have some people that want to, you know, maybe need to be helped to articulate what that brand message and at the heart of it really is. And then, you know, part of what we do is try to put flavours to that idea. Oh, that's worked out pretty well each time? Or? Yeah, the, the probably, probably some of the harder bits is actually we often, you know, often distilling stuff we've never distilled before or distilling stuff that, you know, people are, you know, harvesting, gathering and drying themselves. So you huge variability and trying to smooth that out. And You just taste. You have to taste everything. So we, uh, I mean, a classic for us is juniper, even though this is, you know, it's not something we harvest ourselves. Obviously here we usually use Macedonian juniper and last year it ran out. So we had to find other junipers to use in our gin that were going to somehow make it taste like, Macedonian, and we just taste. We we know juniper, our juniper now by taste, and <laughs> how much just a lot of berries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just the berries. Yeah. So you get uh, an intimate knowledge of the flavors and oil, particularly the oils. We find there's a point in dryness where you have full flavor, but you um, and it won't infuse your gin with oil uh, or your spirit with oil. Um, but if it's not dry enough, then it can overcome the whole batch even a tiny amount like tarragon is vicious in yeah, <laughs> we have a tarragon one. in our gin and what was the, the native one you were saying the lemon myrtle lemon myrtle is really overwhelming if you put too much in so yeah. it's gentle That's yeah go go easy <laughs> uh, go easy go well yeah. um but it's it is uh it's an intimate knowledge of the botanicals that you're working with and and as i said as you know seb said sometimes we're working with stuff we've never we've never used before so it's i suppose the wonderful thing about here is it's a great place to make mistakes you can make lots of mistakes here and you smaller scale yeah small scale and you know uh, and with a, a knowledge base of that that will sort of allow you that will guide you to the right answer quicker i suppose is and this is probably one of the big advantages of having a, a scientist on team that my bartender proclivities of it'll be right uh, you know, really, <laughs> yeah, not check. changing five variables. <laughs> that's, at once. that's it. So we have really detailed notes, not just on ingredients, but um, we have tasting notes for every distillation cycle. You know, where we we taste and test. It's it's a little bit different in Australia with the excise. You can taste as the still is running, so you can take periodic taste tests. I know, like in Scotland, you know, all of the uh, the, the lock boxes. That's right. So you yeah. can't actually taste as you go, but um, we're, we're quite lucky in that. So we know, you know, we know when the still's running differently. You know, we certainly see that, you know, summer to winter as the yeah. temperature changes. So we, we run things a bit differently. Mm. So, yeah, having that, just that comfort with a sort of note-taking mentality <laughs> really helps. And then, so what do you guys think about sort of the overall Australian gin trends and market? I was unaware until I landed that Australia is apparently the land of gin. 
there are hundreds oh. of gin producers all of a sudden. I'm sure the English would have to like to dispute <laughs> That's that <true>. one. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> or it's the Spanish, in fact. <laughs> um, I'm super excited about the future of Australian gin because we've got like the botanicals, um, the number thrown around of about these numbers of Australian botanicals that are available for gin making and culinary um, sort of purposes are, is about twenty-two thousand, and I don't know that for sure, but that's that's a that's, a, that's a, plenty to play with. It's enough, yeah. I think. Yes, um, and they're super unique. They're not yeah. flavors yeah. you see elsewhere, mm. and so I think that. I think we're very fortunate in this country to be able to play around with those new emerging flavours uh, because I think uh, they haven't – we've sort of ignored them a little bit in Australia for a long time. I feel like Australia's coming into its own in a lot of ways and it's turning to face its own wealth and bounty, um, that the Australian native bounty. Yeah. Um, and that, that for me, I feel as a society and as, as a gin maker that we're looking to a very exciting future. One one thing that I've noticed that I really like is that while you guys play around with that, you still keep the juniper profile pretty heavy. Yeah. I can, as a gin maker who makes the exact opposite, <laughs> uh, I really yeah. like your style. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but it seems to be pretty standard across the board for gin makers here that there is a strong juniper profile in, in their gins mm. and not sort of the contemporary, let's throw oranges to be higher than juniper or, you know, whatever weird yeah. kangaroo plant you throw in. <laughs> well, I think that's shifted dramatically over the fa- past yeah, we, we three have, or four years. I think a lot of it's been driven by bartenders yeah. and the, the, the cocktail scene. You know, we had a lot of Australian gins early on that were pretty light in juniper and there was a bit of pushback, you know, to sort of go, well, it's probably not, you know, ginny enough and a lot of bartenders were looking to what was coming out of traditional gin makers and going, well, that's still more junipery. And as, you know, when we, when we launched a couple of years ago, we were probably the first of the really big, heavy juniper mm-hmm, gins sure. to hit the market, you know. And that was our point of difference at the time. Yeah, it was, was, we were going to have major amounts of juniper in our gin. And uh, when we did the category tasting at that time, those gins were very elegant, restrained, not, a, not very juniper forward. Much um, more citrusy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, at that point the palate of the drinking public was coming to gin again. So a lot of people didn't really – they were sort of discovering gin again and I think that that light of style actually was the gateway gins, I think. They were the gateway <laughs> gins into these heavier gins and I think the profile now has shifted to more juniper forward gins across the board. And um, We're hoping that continues. For quite a while, <laughs> that's, that's what we like to make. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the last the last two years, Australia's really embraced, you know, gin, make gin, you know. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's, it's good in that way. Today's creepy basement <laughs> is brought to you by High Proof Creative, a full service agency that provides websites. Spread. Whoa, 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 back up. Okay, are we actually? No, this is conversational here. Are we actually saying someone? Is supporting our podcast? Is that a real thing? Yes, yes, yes. I don't believe that. Fiscally. That can be real. Yeah. <laughs> it's real. It's so, happening. So, High Proof Creative is actually supporting us. 
They actually are. I mean... And they're going to let Zeno stay on? <laughs> right now they are. Their one, right? like, their one stipulation was that Zeno had to be duct taped across the mouth every single time. Little do they know, that's just how we record. And that is the best reason to ever get a sponsor. Yeah, I, I think okay. she listened so, to so, one episode. <laughs> right. I think it's important to preface now, since we do apparently have someone supporting us and a sponsorship listener... We're still going to be absolutely as dumb as we always have been. Yes. I, that's simply not possible Do to change. Do we even need to say that? <laughs> I mean, everybody knows that. Didn't I just say we're really stupid and going to keep being stupid? It seems like I had to say that because otherwise, I mean, I'm not going to leave that up to listener. So any of these grunts are now brought to you by High Proof Creative. Yeah. Oh, that's going to be fun to say. They're not going to want to keep doing this very long. <laughs> I don't know if that's how it works. They are mandatory. High Proof and Creative grunts. Okay, wait, Colton. Okay, let's actually talk about what are they doing? They provide websites, branding, marketing, okay. strategy, social media, and SEO. What else do they do? They're That's all about things. marketing. They're what, are they relevant there. specifically to our industry? They are, I mean, it's called high proof creative, Brian. He's your brain. Okay, so uh, nope. Devin is now Colton. <laughs> uh, uh, so that happens. It's happened. all about marketing. Social media, SEO. Yeah. I'm very sexually confused. Um, <laughs> they no longer turned on. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just really don't know who I am anymore. Very turned um, off. But who could figure me out maybe is some sweet auditing. Um, <laughs> if I was a website well, and yeah. you could figure out how to get people to find me and figure me out. Yeah. And I have something no, to do with spirits, so I feel like there's a company out there that could do there's it. There's a company out there. High Proof Creative. Is yeah. it? It is. I, I actually have no idea. Again, they're making terrible decisions by working with us, so you, <laughs> we got to question that, that a But she's bit. experienced. Yeah, we're definitely leaving that But she's that experienced. <laughs> she's written for some great publications. Bon Appetit, GQ, Sit Northwest. Her first mistake was choosing us. And her last mistake mm -hmm. is probably choosing us, so <laughs> right. my apologies. This is a learning experience for everyone. All right, so let's try some gin. What do you guys have? This is our, I guess, our, our first foray into the market. This is our... This is our big juniper yeah. forward gin, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> what we, uh, I guess we call our classic mm. Anther so gin. Is, is the distillery Craft & Co. and the brand is Anther? That's or, right. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, so if you guys move out of this sort of incubation chamber, you're going to keep Craft & Co. going? Or will so, it become so Craft & Co. is its own thing. Okay. And yeah. so we, we, I guess we, we are Anther, but we also work with Craft & Co. Got it. So, um, yeah, so we move out into a bigger space dedicated to Anther and Craft & Co. continues and we keep that relationship rolling and grow that way. So before we try it, I guess I, I want to ask about your bottle. It's a very nice sort of square shaped. Is it, is it custom? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Got it off the shelf. We're very lucky. We feel very lucky. Yeah. Do you have problems getting it? From what I've heard talking to other distillers, there's a minimum three-month wait to get bottles, which is why a lot of them go with a very standard. Yeah, we, we I guess just, you know, good forward planning. You know, it is a three-month wait. We say um, good forward planning, but we just sort of go, oh, we're out of bottles. <laughs> <laughs> we will be out of bottles yeah. after the next pallet. But I think, yeah, we try to be... We try to do forward planning with that, but it's um, we're so small; it's very easy to keep track of where we are. It's not a and you know. the um, the, gla the glass guys. It's uh, out of Saver Glass, so out of France, and they 
they're really they'll hold stock at a really reasonable like uh, monthly cost to hold the pallets for you mm. um, so in that way they're actually quite good to work with so yes I mean I, th- I think because we've you know a couple of years of trading with them now and a couple of years of buying that they're pretty they're pretty happy to bring in more pallets yeah and let us draw down on that so I think as the entire industry grows and they need more spirit bottles they'll mm. be able to supply people quicker and more very various mm. and, and I think yeah. that one of the we're very fortunate to be in an industry that's very supportive across the board there's no one really that you know, we find difficult and we've got very good relationships um, with other distilleries and also with all of our suppliers. So I think uh, it's just such a, a, a small industry at the moment. It's growing rapidly, but uh, it's, yeah, it's a very friendly little place to be in. So Yeah, it's good. very true. All right, so your <laughs> flagship gin. So this gin is very juniper forward on the nose and lots of citrus. There's a sweetness on the nose as well. It hits your palate and you know you're drinking gin. It's a 44% um, ABV. So we've got juniper and citrus up front. And in the mid-palate, we've got a ton of dark spices. So we've got things like cloves and ginger and grains of paradise. Um, Some people taste a floral note. Others don't. We think that's coming from the grains of paradise and possibly cassia um, and a little bit from morris root. And then the, the finish is really quite a bitter finish, which we like, a little bit of oil in there. Um, which gives you a really lovely mouthfeel. Yeah, yeah it has gin. a very big body for a, yeah. for a gin, which yeah. is great. So we, we love drinking this. Every single batch we just... Oh, we sort of... <laughs> we're surprised yeah, we, almost. We, we get to like it more and more as <laughs> we go. It's funny, you know. Well, do you think that's because you're getting better at making it or... That's definitely part of it. Yeah, yeah. We, we think it took us a year of, you know, making it to get really good at using this recipe Mm. you know for sure and the recipe hasn't changed much we've had to sort of be a little bit agile when botanicals have changed but Mm -hmm. i think that we are we've settled into a a sort of a rhythm with it now that means that we we know what we want and we can taste it coming off the still as a as a bottled sort of batch to batch so each run is going to be a little bit different depending on is that always going to be the plan, or once you're big enough, will you start blending slowly We've out? done some batches blended, done we, maybe we one. S- yeah, we sort of do like... Just each. whatever you have space for. Yeah, yeah. essentially, yeah. yeah. Each batch is usually two two distillations. Yeah. Into each batch as we do it, you know, one day we do a double mm-hmm. distillation over the day. Um, we've spoken to a lot of people who really advocate for, you know, a bit of a sort of bottling to Solera of, you know, you, you make it, you dilute it and then you put it into a big mixing tank and that's what you bottle from and that eases out any you know changes and stuff but I don't know we're really happy with how it's tasting so I don't think there's any urgency to change how we do things it probably comes down to equipment yep yeah you know, yeah that's the size of tank so that's the size of batch <laughs> and then what are the what are the native botanicals we've got um, Australian native so in this gin we have no traditional citrus at all 
because every time we tried it with our recipe, it, over, it was overwhelmed. Uh, one of the big mistakes we made was bergamot, which yeah. destroyed a batch of gin. <laughs> and then we redistilled it and tried to get the bergamot oil out, and it didn't come out even after distillation. So yeah, we yeah. used that in limoncello later on. So <laughs> is that little what that trash cello is downstairs? Yes. One of the one of the, the uh, re, re upcycled ethanol. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we have uh, Australian native finger limes, which are these gorgeous sort of sausage-like mm-hmm. fruit. Uh, they can be pink to green, um, and they've got a sort of a thinnish, uh, oily, um, citrus sort of outer peel. And inside there's this gorgeous caviar-like flesh, and it's just beautiful. So the, the so you use it not whole, raw but yeah. wet and... Yeah. Not, not dried. Not dried, no. That goes in whole. Um, and then it's burst open. Yeah, they burst the in distillation. there. And that's just got this gorgeous, like they've got the dark, the sort of darker, bitter citrus notes in the, in the skin and then in the flesh you've got a lemon sherbet sort of, it's like a high light lemon flavour. It's beautiful. It's like if a grapefruit was a lime. So, you know, because it's like lime, but it's... It was like our a, episode title. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like if a lime was bitter. Yeah. You know, like, I guess, like a bitter orange is to a, you know, a Valencia sweet orange. You know, the finger lime is this sort of bitter resinous lime mm. to the sort of sweetness of a traditional lime. Yeah. So, for, for, for you know, with our gin, which is this big juniper gin, it really sort of... Yeah, it comes through and then, but also meshes really well with the juniper. Yeah, and um, so we've also got a little bit of uh, citrus coming from the coriander, which is not uncommon in gins. And then uh, we've got uh, lemon-scented gum, which is an Australian native um, tree. And we just forage um, some leaves from local trees (laughs) in Collingwood. Uh, And that is... That's going to be hard to upscale. Yeah. Well, we can (laughs) buy that one. That's (laughs) it. It's it's one of those ones where we've got to plant it. Yeah, Yeah. we'll probably eventually do that. Um, And so we're... They're amazing, the the lemon-scented gum. It's just fresh, beautiful, clean lemon aroma. Yeah. And um, Not not like lemon myrtle, which smells... Almost artificial lemon scented gums, this really beautiful, bright lemon flavor. Do you think you're going to have any problems with, um, especially because you're going to start using more uh, native botanicals as seasons change, getting different botanicals? You know, you, it sounds like the gum you want as fresh as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gum probably is at its best about seven days after picking if you dry it. So, like but it doesn't f- grow all year round. Oh, it does, does it? yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's no fine because it's just a leaf. But then there's times when it's a little, it's a little more stringent than other others. So we've and we've got to pick. We've got to pick your leaves at that point. So you pick a younger leaf than an older leaf. So yeah, yeah we've just sort of got to know them quite well as well. <laughs> and with finger limes, it's about a six to eight month season, and so we actually get them and freeze them. Mm. Oh, okay. So that way we, we get some, and then they burst even more easily in the still as well. Mm. So so it works. Just throw them in. Just throw yeah. them in. Completely iced. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so so yeah, that's that's how we're managing that. But yeah, there's definitely seasonality. Um, wattle seed runs out every year. So well, it sounds like a lot of uh, distillers and brewers are using wattle seed. Mm. It's delicious. It's yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's but if you we've we one of our gins we slightly overused it so it can give you a sort of a 
a little bit of a corked effect if you put too much in. So we've we've understood the limitations of that as well. So if you, it gives this gorgeous mouthfeel and this beautiful flavour, but um, yeah, a little bit too much and it, it's a little bit cardboardy in the in yeah, the gin. Yeah, cardboard's a good word for it actually mm. when you overuse it. And you lose that crisp finish. It sort of gets a bit fat at the end, so mm. you don't get that clean like gin and tonic ah, sort of vibe. Mm. So, but yeah, that 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 does run out. We normally buy up. Um, in July, so normally when it all runs out and then the harvest is October, November. Well, our harvest is from November and it's normally back in stock January. I'm going to start getting some wattle seed contracts That's with it. all the... Yeah. Yeah, but that, it sort of can't because it's still like it's still a... It's still un- wild harvest, isn't it? All wild yeah. harvest, still lots of co-ops, you know, lots of foraging groups that are very unsophisticated and don't particularly want to be sophisticated in their dealings. They're just like, well, we're going to go get some and we're going to sell it. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's our business. But people identify uh, farms that have the right trees on them and then they go in and say, can we can we just take the wattle seed off your tree? And they say, sure. Because they don't, they don't know what they're missing. Well, they no, well, they, 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 I think they pay them. But um, it's that sort of thing that that's what they do. They, they wander about and look for. Oh, it sounds that's probably a little bit more formal than wandering about. But um, Google yeah, Maps. yeah. <laughs> Wattle seed. <laughs> yeah, spotted one. There we go. Yeah, but that's sort of where we've well, we've spoken to some of the people that that sell wattle seed, and they actually that's what they do. They go and f- look for them and find them and ask permission to harvest off farms. And so. uh, you know there is. I mean, we haven't even touched on the fact that there is hundreds of different varieties of wattle. You know, I mean, we, we use, there's a particular... Yeah, how do you know what you're getting if they're just running around farm to farm? There's a particular one we really like uh, that we use. It's called soap wattle. It comes out of uh, Western Australia. And that, for us, we know how it works. We know how it distills. It's quite forgiving and it's just lovely. But, yeah, there's all sorts of varieties from, like, almost like a full-on coffee flavour to a real, like, soft, uh, full, full-grain full bread sort of vibe. So, yeah, it's, again, taste it. you gotta, you know, you got to taste it and be ready to dodge. Having said that, there's none in the regular answer. That's <laughs> 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 all right, so I see uh, three other glasses here. All right, let's, let's pass this one around. This is... Um, this is this is made with our regular gin. So the one we just tasted. So the one we just tasted at forty four percent. This is effectively a slow gin, made with our regular gin, but instead of slows, it's Tasmanian black cherries. Ah. So and no pits. So we've just got the flesh of the cherry. So we do you pit it yourself? Hand pit it. So last year we did two hundred and forty kilos of cherries. Um, Twenty four thousand cherries. Yeah, and we. <laughs> The year before we did uh, one, one, yeah. Yeah, 130 kilos. You're looking forward to scaling that up. Well, you know what? It's a, it, we, we have this day, where or two days this year, where we invite people to come and volunteer uh, and help us pit. So we have to put down sheeting because cherry juice graph. looks like, you know, blood. <laughs> so it stains everything. So everyone is covered in um, – everyone comes in and uh, and we basically – Pit the cherries. Everyone is covered in cherry juice. So there was one girl this year who had cherry juice all down her legs. She was wearing a skirt. And there's a photograph of her tattooed 
She's the one of her thighs tattooed with Hannibal Lecter's face, so it was quite a <laughs> <laughs> quite an excellent <laughs> shout out to Georgie. Yeah. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so she, so so we we have this beautiful day where we get to sit with people we've never met before because we do a shout out on social media three days before the cherries arrive because that's our warning, mm-hmm. and whoever can come can come, and we sit around, we have lunch, we drink gin and tonics, and pit cherries, and have just a beautiful day and we don't want that to stop. So we're just going to keep pushing out the number of days until we're no longer able to do it. But I think um, yeah, it's this, so lovely. This, this year was actually really manageable. Um, we made a 1,000 bottles this year. So I think next year we're going to try for about 1,500. Mm. And I think that'll be a really nice two days as well, really enjoy it. Like it is actually so much fun. It reminds you why you're in craft spirits. Yeah. You know, that you get to hang out with people and talk about yeah. doing stuff by hand and it feels really community and really connected and there's that like, ah, oh, that's why we're happy not to get paid, you know, it's sort of that, <laughs> <laughs> that sort of side of things. It's part of the, you know, because we've, you know, we've both worked in the opposite part of the world where, you know, there's pressure and there's a corporate environment and we both don't want to be there. And so there's there's a certain element as your brand grows that you can find yourself heading back to that world. And this time you're heading back with your own product, but it's still a world that we actually don't want to go to. Mm. And so it's a really beautiful reminder every year of like, no, no, this is what it's about. Yeah, it's, it's anchoring. Yeah. Yeah. And then it tastes good. So Yeah. So after nice. it's pitted. It's just a steep in your normal gin for 24 hours? Three weeks, three usually. Weeks. Oh, we taste it. We, we, there's a point where um, the cherries <laughs> start to break down too much and you start getting a bitterness. And then it's yeah, like a tannin, tannin almost. Tannin. Yeah. So, and we, it's only, we've only done it for two years, but we, we just taste every few days to see where it's at. And gin at 80%, mm-hmm. so undiluted or partially undiluted. Mm. Um, and then after that three and a half weeks, we draw out that, that spirit and it's about what 50 percent alcohol yeah we lose a lot of booze into the cherries uh so it's what we when we were doing our r&d for this uh we we thought that the alcohol would be enough we would get enough flavor in the alcohol but what actually happens is we seem to pull off a lot of those higher fruit notes off the cherry Uh, and then we did a and we were very confused when we first did it it tasted thin there was none of that sort of palate weight you get from black cherries yeah and that's what we wanted and so we mucked around with it a bit and worked out that it was we needed to pull off some of the water soluble flavors and so we you know put some water on it and out came all these gorgeous dark put some water on the cherries after it had soaked yeah Yeah, so we had gin soaked cherries pulled off all the off, off all the gin and then we put the water on and let it sit for a day or maybe two again we taste and uh, and then that pulls off a whole different section of flavour, which we were really surprised, happily surprised by. Or then use yeah. that to proof down with, or just That's blend right. and uh, yeah. And, and so we 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 make it as a sugar syrup. So we'll put sugar on the so we gin soak the cherries. Ah uh, yes. Then put sugar on the gin soaked cherries, hot water, mm. leave it overnight, and we get a syrup. And we do that twice. Mm. So the first syrup I think was twenty four percent. Yeah. And so then, you put you put sugar because I've seen people making liqueurs. They'll yeah. put sugar on the fruit after they've decanted the alcohol, but mm-hmm. no more liquid, just so the sugar draws out all the liquid that's left in there. Well, we haven't tried that. 
No. But so that, that way it gets sweeter and sweeter <laughs> each time. Be, yeah, yeah. It, it sounds like that's not what you're going no. for. So. And we, we try to – so we <laughs> sugar to taste as well, so we're not putting just on a ton of sugar. We just – we put in enough to – balance it's like a cocktail i, suppose, I, th- I really. think we ended up with 70 grams per liter added sugar which is you know most liqueurs are more like 200 so yeah. we're mm. like way down on that but there's still some natural sugar from the cherry but we this year we had three things we had the gin soak at sort of 50 percent, and then the syrup one at 24 and then mm-hmm. syrup two at like 11 mm-hmm. and we just did blends on the bench top based on use all the gin soak use Almost all of, you know, the the twenty four percent syrup, and then back blend a little bit of the weaker syrup, and just we just tried it until we liked it, mm. and then that's the proportions we used to batch the whole lot, and so we had quite a lot of that third syrup left over, which was you know that sort of yeah we use that for cooking. It's delicious. I was going to say what's <laughs> what's the final end of the cherries? <laughs> so last year we made Christmas puddings, and we made jam. And we made yeah. uh, ketchup. Ketchup wasn't fabulous. Yeah, that, that, that didn't work. But the jam. <laughs> but you made it. Yeah, <laughs> we, we did, made it. We did, uh, yeah. but, but the jam was really interesting because when we first put it in, it was, I mean, a lot of the flavor has been taken out of the cherries already. Um, we, we made the jam and it was pretty tasteless. Three months in, my goodness, that was a totally different jam. Yeah, yeah it came It good. developed in the, in the pot and it was lovely. And we also made boozy cherries, so you yeah, just potted them and gave them to Bart's. We did an enormous mistake <laughs> the first time we made it. Of course, we had to taste the cherry, but I tasted the cherries at 50% alcohol, so I just put a cherry straight in my mouth and had my head blown off by this cherry. <laughs> it was just like, oh, my Lord. It tasted yeah. amazing. Though. The, they're big cherries. These Tasmanian cherries are like the size of a golf ball. And so you put one of those in your mouth and it's 50% ABV and it's like, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, and you're not expecting it. You're expecting yeah. it sort of soft, sweet cherry. So, <laughs> so the nose kind of, you know, obviously big cherry nose, but not over sweet. You were talking about having sugar in there, but I don't get, especially on the nose, I I smell it and I think it's going to be bitter, but then through the palate is where the sugar seems to come mm. through and it's beautiful. And then it finishes off in a, with a bitter, a bitterness on the, um, which I love because it cleans the palate up. And it's, you know, for me, it's one of those ones that you just drink it and, it, and it's supposed to be mixed. And it does make a great, like, cherry gin and tonic. So I was going to say, what's, what's your cocktail with this? But, um, well, this one, we, we um, it's weird because it, it, when, you, when you taste it neat like this, it's quite a, it's almost like a fortified sort of vibe to it. So it's sort of like you imagine a warm fire and, you know, mm-hmm. evenings. But if you put tonic into it, it just all the gin comes out and it turns into this sort of poolside summer drink, which I, <laughs> I this happened to me, someone did this to me Best with my own worlds. product at a, at, a, yeah, at, a, at a trade show. We were out and they're like, what's it like with tonic? And I, I was like, well, I don't know. I know what it's like <laughs> in, a, in a grody. <laughs> so we tasted it and I was just astounded at the change because of the gin base and such a strong gin base. It becomes this different beast altogether, really sort of light, fragrant, sweet sort of, poolside drink which is mm, interesting yeah that's been a, and and uh, obviously like uh, singapore sling you know using a cherry gin instead of cherry liqueur mm. you know just as the, that's the as the gin ingredient the singapore mm. sling is delicious all right and then we have one more it looks like mm-hmm. this is a bottle today <laughs> ah. <laughs> so, uh, a little bit of maybe a little hint of bottle shock there 
That's yeah, what we've been doing downstairs. But mm. do you guys let your bottles rest at all, or because you've rested it already, you don't worry about it? They they need a day at least, but yeah, three or four is usually good. But I mean, that's normally just you know getting to the distributor and then to the wholesaler and then mm. to the bar. So it's it's generally pretty. We know that the cherry will need to rest for at least a week because yes, that's yes. a totally different thing, blending three different sort of components. And when that goes into the bottle, it just tastes like sweetness and gin. And then within a week, it's you can, the cherry comes back out. So it's that, that was an interesting sort of discovery as we go through the process of this. But I'm sure it just depends on the gin itself. So this is the first time we've bottled this gin. And then... Mm. I get it. Back to the cherry gin, it's it's fairly clear. Mm. Um, uh, yeah. You talk about your <laughs> your gins being fairly heavy in oil. Yeah. Do you have problems lucing, especially in the yeah. bottle afterwards? Yeah. Or we've had definitely with um, I mean, anther. Proof down slowly for that, but yeah, um, we find resting helps. But with the cherry, we get sediment in this. We do a very light filter on this because we've got massive chunks of cherry in there. We don't want those in the bottle. Sure. So we just basically sieve, really. Um, but we do see sedimentation with the cherry over time because it's still got lots of proteins and lots of oils in there. We're not filtering all those out, so we certainly do see that. We've been talking about for 2019 we'll probably um, use a flocculant to yeah. drop, drop it out yeah. and rack it. We're, so. we're still in discussions about that in their <laughs> business. Yes, we are. We are. <laughs> it is super new and we had a... You know, a great chat to the crew at Four Pillars. They do a, a Shiraz gin and um, Cam, who's really, he's a distiller, really generous with his knowledge, mm. was talking about how they rack it and let the sediment settle and just draw off the top. So. Yeah, so there's lots of, you know. But we know it also, the, the sugar and the gin layers as well. Yeah. So we know it has to be mixed, you know, so it's <laughs> like if we rack it and draw it off, are we going to, you know, like. Losing it all. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. this ways. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's ways we can, you know, we can pull that off. But I, yeah, I just we don't know. I think it's the other. I think we don't know yet. <laughs> but we need we have an issue with sedimentation, and we need to we need to fix that. So yeah, we'll continue thinking, I suppose. You know, the label the label says that it, it has a light sediment. Sure. So, yeah. But uh, everyone reads the labels. So we all yeah, know everyone that. in detail. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. I know. I do. Um, I have a, a bottle at my house where somebody thought it would be a good idea just to put strawberries with no processing or anything or coloring into their moonshine jar, right. uh, which obviously sucked out the color and left this very off-flesh-colored yeah, no, blob in the jar. <laughs> so, nobody drinks it. We just look You'd at look it. look at that. <laughs> yeah, that's not funny. But there's a learning process, you um, see. I hope so. <laughs> I hope they did, yeah, yeah. They branded zombie strawberries because yeah. that would have sold. <laughs> All right, so bottle today, mm-hmm. uh, different for, yeah. different than your yeah. standard gin. Uh, this is the result of a cocktail competition. Um, two Melbourne bartenders, uh, Ezekiel Gallo and Trish Brew. So, um, Trish runs the iconic uh, Gin Palace in Melbourne. That's a an cocktail institution, uh, gin institution. It started in the mid-90s. Yeah, just over 20 years ago. Yeah, now, and so. it was one of the first big cocktail bars in Melbourne and it's never not been a leader in those 20 years. I don't know how they did it, but they're just Vernon Chalker, who is the owner of that uh, particular venue, is just a genius. Um, So, yeah, we're very 
fortunate to be working with Trish. She just happened to be a total gun on the night with the cocktail comp. Yeah, she did very well. So the, the, the comp was that they had to use a cocktail to communicate the idea for the gin they wanted to make. And so they didn't have to make the flavour of it. They didn't have to make the gin. They didn't even have to use any of the ingredients they wanted. They just had to communicate the idea using a drink. Mm. And the idea really for this was we know where gin has been in the history and traditional old school gin. We know where gin is now and that we're starting to utilise, you know, lots of different local ingredients and things like that. And it was a sort of picture for them of, well, what is gin next year? And I don't, I mean, they didn't necessarily answer that, but they sort of said that's what we want to be talking to mm. with the flavour that's, that's in this. And from there we really just let Trish and Z sort of work through the flavours that they liked. And they're both passionate. Z is extremely passionate, <laughs> loves, loves everything to do with booze. So we had... Uh, this extremely passionate man uh, at, with his, like, eating all the botanicals and just loving <laughs> the flavours and and then Trisha's... He's not the one who stuck a whole wormwood. No, 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 no. That was some other person <laughs> at a trade show that Z would never do something like that. He's far, far more yeah. sensible. So but Z certainly had that thing of, like, you know, every botanically tasty. He's like, well, I want to use that yeah. and that as well. And yeah. all of it, yeah, they were all so good. You know? Yeah, so, so they, they we brought them in and, and we sat with them and, and took them through all our, our botanicals and they requested botanicals um, as well and and we brought them in and just one of, one of our first sessions with them was just sitting down and smelling and tasting everything um, and opening their world up to those flavours and trying to help them imagine how that would taste in a gin. And that's where we started, I suppose. And we worked with them and took them through the whole R&D process of the first sort of benchtop runs leaving it, assessing it, writing notes on it, making it one change, doing another run. I learned. <laughs> and so them being bartenders, um, this is out a year late. <laughs> um, <laughs> was it us as well, though? Because you were a bartender. No. <laughs> a bit of that, but, and I um, was a bartender. But part of, part of the project for us was that it was also that they left this cocktail competition with, uh, you know, a really up-close personal experience of the whole how do you get a flavour into the bottle process of or where do we source that botanical and where do we get that flavour and what do we do with it? And so in, in that sense, we're really happy, you know, because they've been part of every stage, the distillation and, and all of the R&D and working on, you know, getting the label right took a delay. You think bartenders are hard to organise. <laughs> Try um, a tattoo artist. Yeah. So the, this, um, the, label, the label there has got a cherub playing a double bass with a little hat on. Um, that cherub is actually a tattoo on Z's arm that we've asked the, we asked his uh, tattooist basically do a line drawing for us and we popped it on the bottle. So, yeah. That's on the T-shirt. That's on T-shirt, yeah. yeah. And that was, yeah. The description was... I got that, that was harder than just asking him. It was. Yeah. <laughs> it was way harder. Yeah. And I mean, I love the fact she, you know, her first response was to say, well, it's on Z's arm. It's his now. Yeah. You know, he's paid for the work. It's, it's his. If he wants to, that's okay. And which was really lovely and, again, reminds you why you're not in the corporate world. But at the same time, you know, we didn't feel that was, we didn't feel that that was the right thing to do because it's a pretty unique image. So, and it's her work. 
So yeah. we yeah. Uh, so we've done a deal for some gin and uh, some support. So yeah. So yeah, yeah but uh, but yeah, it was that sort of funny thing of us saying, I think we should give you a bit more, and her sort of saying, I don't really know what that means, you know. Yeah. So and us sort of going, well, neither do we. <laughs> 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 That's <laughs> learnt a lot in this process. Yeah, we did. So uh, so just I guess describe the resulting gin of this whole process there is a little bit of bottle shock with this yeah definitely yeah. The, the the spices are a bit more forward mm-hmm. okay with this one um it'll soften a bit more in the next day um so in a word what i get is savory yes yeah. yes so when i distill this this is going to probably surprise you based on what you've just said there was enormous amounts of butterscotch and sweetness coming off there was floral notes. It was light and bright. It was citrus, um, but the overwhelming flavour coming off was butterscotch. And yeah, like I still get sweet. some of that butterscotch yeah. and caramel in the back. Yeah, but that was really forward in the distillation. And for me, when I taste this now, and it go, it's bone dry when it, you know, the finish is so dry. Mm-hmm. It's for me, it's such a surprise that how it, at how it's developed. And we do have uh, chincona. Now, was this rested for a year or it took a year? Just took a year to get to the point of resting for three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it was, in the end, this one was actually rested for... Yeah, it was a while. Yeah, nearly two months just waiting on labels. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, no, the whole process took, took longer than planned. Yeah. The thing I really like about this is, you know, you get that juniper at the start and then it... I mean, maybe because you come at it from a different place because it's something you've distilled, but... I really like how it moves through lavender and cardamom and fennel and those spices, but it sort of doesn't leave juniper. Like it's still through... I don't know, I, I really like how that has balanced out. There's a certain annoyance that I I really like this gin. Um, I think the green tea fits really well in it and it's not actually our recipe. You know, so it's sort of, I mean, we were part of making it, but um, we would never have put these things together without... No way. That's the interest. No way. No. Who puts green tea in gin? (laughs) And, you know, maybe someone does. I don't know. know, Who wouldn't have thought about it? A lot of that savoury backbone is the chincona and the green tea holding back the lavender and the fennel and the cardamom so they don't get too dominant so it doesn't go into that sort of green floral spice space. It stays in that savoury, junipery vibe, you know. So, And it's something that, for me, this is really different to Antha, but you can taste that it's part of the family, you know. Yeah. It's delicious. It's, I hope you guys continue to do it. <laughs> yeah, we, we... Have you started yeah. the next yeah, we, competition? We, we, <laughs> Oh, not Start yet. getting it going. <laughs> we need we need a rest. No. <laughs> yeah, I think we learned enormous amounts from this one because it was our first one, and I didn't know how hard. It, you know, bartenders live a different. They live at a different point part of the day to everyone yes. else. So <laughs> I'm thinking, uh, ten o'clock in the morning. Right, I need to ring. Oh no, no one's up. Okay, one probably still because Trish probably didn't finish work till nine this morning because she had to do cash up. All right, maybe four, and then she's already started work. So <laughs> it's really, it was, yeah, for us, for me to get my head around. So I just use Messenger a lot. <laughs> that worked well. <laughs> but, yeah, having two bartenders that worked at different venues <laughs> that had different hours, you know, it was 
to get them both in the one place for like we need you both here for like four <laughs> or five hours so we can go through a bunch of stuff that was that was tricky but it was it was amazing talking to them about flavor because um they taste something and you could see them just going away in their minds really trying to understand how those flavors would work together and that was a real pleasure for us because again it was different from the chefs because it was just they had a similar approach but it was um I don't know. It was just. It you was. You think you're gonna try a chef competition? That would be. Well, that might be dangerous. Because they can be. No, I don't thousands, know. <laughs> thousand botanicals in here. Yeah. <laughs> Knives. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you hang a knife from the still while it's distilling. Oh yeah, yeah that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Helps to sharpen it. Yeah, <laughs> distilled knives. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful water effect on the steel. <laughs> All right, well, we're hitting about an hour, so I'm going to let you guys get back to bottling. Okay, thank you. Um, thank you for sitting down and talking with us, though. Well, me. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> it was a pleasure. Hopefully it's fun. But it was lovely. It was lovely yeah. to meet you, too. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.